Now we are starting a new series today. It's called Caring Power, and it's going to run for a number of weeks, and we're going to talk about encouraging, being available, compassionate, thoughtful, respectful, and accepting. And they're not in order, but I'm going to talk about being thoughtful, thoughtful today, as opposed to being callous. There's a difference in, in our lives when we think about other people and we think about what it's like to be someone else. When we are thoughtful about others, it changes our disposition if we have a heart that's made of flesh, not a heart that's made of stone. And so I'm going to ask uh, that you listen carefully because I want to talk about thoughtfulness today in terms of our living our life like Jesus wants us to live our life. And I want to talk about how we can be thoughtful and not callous in our lives. Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 12 to 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have grievances against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so here we have a statement from Paul that's telling us very, very clearly that we have to clothe ourselves with this thoughtfulness. A thoughtfulness that thinks about how we can be kind and how we can be compassionate and how we can have humility in our lives, how we can gently approach people, how we can be patient. It's to clothe ourselves. And the idea of the clothing is to take a garment and to slip a garment on. And so it's not a natural thing for us to be compassionate. It's not a natural thing for us to have humility in our life. Naturally, we're probably prone to self-centeredness. Naturally, we're probably prone to looking after our own selves rather than looking after others. And so this is something that we have to clothe ourselves with. This is something that we clothe ourselves with with regard to Christ. And so we are putting on Christ and we're putting on his attitude. And then in that way, we are incarnating him to the people around us. We are reflecting the life of Jesus to those around us. And there's lots and lots of scriptures in the word of God that tell us that this is an important thing to do. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, it tells us that if anyone has material possession and sees his brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? We're told in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, he said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. We're told these things are, are, are essences of what it is to be Jesus to people around you. And First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, pay evil with blessing. In, in, in Romans it says, bless and curse not. It says, if somebody does something to you, don't curse them, bless them and curse not, it tells us. It tells us to adopt a thoughtful attitude about what we're doing. Not a reactionary attitude, but a thoughtful attitude. And blessing, he says, repay evil uh, with blessing because... To this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And so we're really told in Scripture to be thoughtful about what it's all about. Now, there was one story in the Scripture that I believe that Jesus told that, that really caps it off for me. And I want to look very closely at this story. It's called the story of the, the Good Samaritan. And I want to put it in its context first so you understand where this story came from and, and what was happening at the time when Jesus was giving it. Now, there was an expert in the law. So he was a lawyer. He was high in the religious order and he knew what he was talking about with regard to Jewish law. He had Hebrew right under his skin. He knew it all. And he came to Jesus testing Jesus. He wanted to cause Jesus to stumble. He wanted to find out, here's Jesus. He's just a young man, 30-something-year-old guy walking around. He's probably a bit older and he's probably a whole lot wiser and he's probably done a whole lot more study, he thinks, than Jesus. And he's going to stump him. He's going to trip him up in his doctrine. And so he comes to Jesus and he says... He says to him, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, everybody wants to know that question. What's the thing that I have to do so I can get to heaven? And then Jesus is very wise and he says to him, he says, you know, you know well, how do you read it? How do you read the law? So he throws it back to him. Jesus oftentimes throws it back to the people. And the guy says, well, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, Jesus says, well, that's right. You've, you, you correctly answered that. And that was it. He said, you, you go and do it then. So the guy's standing there and thinking, well, that was, a, that was pretty hopeless. 
So he thought, okay, I'll extend it a little bit further and I'll just justify myself because that was like, you know, obviously one-on-one for Jesus. He just didn't, he knew that straight off the top of his head, you know. He said, um, well, who's my neighbour? A stickier question. And that's when the story of the Good Samaritan is being delivered to us. It's a response to this man's question, who's my neighbour? Who's the person I should love with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind? And be, you know, love, you know, like myself. Who is that guy, you know? And the parable shows us the thoughtfulness and the callousness that's involved in this life. Now, we're going to read this whole passage together. If you can see it, can you see it clearly from there? You can read along with me if you like. So it's in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Already? One, two, three. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus... Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of all his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place where they saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So that's the story. It is loaded. That story is absolutely loaded. Now, you have read that story before. You... You've heard it, and he goes on to say, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law said, well, the man who had mercy on him, and Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So he's, he's cornered the guy, and he's told him, that's what I want you to do. So we've all heard that story. So what I want to do now is, is develop this whole idea of thoughtfulness. So when you do your Bible reading, I I want you to stop and slow the process of your Bible reading down. So when you're reading something like a parable, I want you to actually start thinking through the individuals in the parable. I want you to put yourself in their shoes. Now, putting yourself in someone's shoes is an English idiom. So those who are new, you might not have heard that term before. You know, walk a mile in my shoes or put yourself in somebody else's shoes. What it means is try and understand what it's like to be that other person. That's what that idiom means. Try and understand what it's like to be the other person. Joe South wrote a song many years ago, um, a long time ago when I was a lad, and it says, if you, could be, if you could be me for just an hour, if you could find a way to get inside each other's minds, if you could see you through my eyes instead of your ego, I believe you'd be surprised to see how blind you've been. And then he goes on, walk a mile in my shoes. You remember that song? Walk a mile in my shoes. And he goes, hey, before you abuse, criticize and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes. And what he's actually saying in that song is take the time to think about life from the other person's perspective. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go into this parable and we're going to, we're going to look at it from each person's perspective and try and understand what it would be like to be each person. And in so doing, we're going to discover something about ourselves by looking at other people. So we're going to exercise this level of thoughtfulness. Now, when you do this, when you are doing your Bible reading, you'll find that the passage of Scripture that you're reading just explodes in your mind. There is so much in the Word of God that you can discover when you, when you start thinking. So we're looking at the man, okay? This is the man that's walking between the place of Jericho and Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem is the place, and in the Greek, uh, in the Greek and in the Hebrew, when you, when you hear the word Jerusalem, it means a, a habitation of peace or a dwelling of peace 
or a teaching of peace or a doctrine of peace. It has all those different colors to the idea. So Jerusalem means a place of peace. And he's going to Jericho. And Jericho, when you look in the Greek and have a look at the word, what it means, it means a fragrant place. This man is born into life, looking, going to peace, looking for peace and, and looking to find a fragrant place. I don't know of anybody that ever is ever born into life with a label on their head saying, can you please make life as miserable as you can for me? Can you please produce suffering in my life so that I can really appreciate death when it comes? I don't think anybody is born, I don't think Adeline is being born into this world with the idea that anything other than peace and safety and significance is going to be her lot. She's going to come to a fragrant place. It is a shame, a disgusting shame, that children are born into a world that takes away their peace, that takes away safety, that takes away security, that produces harm. And before they're even five years old, some have been, can, can be so traumatised through life, they can suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder at an age of four or five. You know, it's like they don't have peace and they don't have a, a fragrant place to live. They're born into a horrible world. But no one wishes that. No one is born into life expecting that. That's what's brought upon us when we enter into life. It's brought to us. And so if we were to understand this man, this man who's walked this journey, and we look at this man, he doesn't necessarily want to be the victim. He's journeying along life, doing his own thing, minding his own business at going through life, doing what he thinks he should be doing. He wants peace and safety. He wants security and significance. He's doing all of these things. And then comes upon him a disastrous event, a catastrophic event that leaves him half dead on the side of the road. Can you feel what he's feeling? Can you identify with this person? Somewhere in your life, can you go back and say, you know what, I think I've experienced something of that gone through life and expected to have peace and expected to have security and expected to have a fragrant place to live. Everything was meant to be roses and pleasant and happiness and grow vegetables and eat with the family and it's all going to be... And then when I'm old and grey and my family's gathered around me, put me in a box and bury me. That's life. is meant to be beautiful. And But you realise that it hasn't been that way. And that from you, have, you've been robbed of peace, of safety. You've been traumatised. You've been hurt. You've been abused. You've been, had stuff stolen from you. Your health has gone from you. Your wealth has been taken from you. Your, 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 your solid foundation of mental capacity has been shaken. And you're sitting identifying with the man, the victim. The victim. Do you feel what it's like to be the victim? Do you understand what it would be like to be in his predicament? Half dead, paralyzed at the side of the road, unable to move, unable to help himself, naked, broken and bruised, scarred, wounded, emotionally distraught, wondering whether he's ever going to see his family again, whether he'll see his kids again. Stuck. Can't get up. Can't move on. Stuck in life. Do you feel this man? Do you know where he lives? Think carefully now. Can you feel his pain? Think about that. We none, none of us, not one of us, want the problems in our lives. None of us want to have grief. We want happiness. We want a fragrant life. We want peace. We're travelling between Jerusalem and Jericho and something horrible has befallen us. Well, then there's the robber. Now get your hat on, walk a mile in the robber's shoes. Let's try and think about what it's like to be a robber. All right, this speaks to us of the devil. We know because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And it also speaks about anybody who's doing the devil's work, which may be a human being who's influenced or motivated or somehow manipulated or oppressed by the devil. 
What's it like to be a devil? I mean, there's a great ethic in our society that says something like this, and I want you to repeat this after me. People are to be loved. Things are to be used. That's a basic ethic when you, if you're doing ethics. Here's a basic ethic for life. People are to be loved. Things are to be used. Uh, you get that messed up in life and you are messed up really bad time. When you are using people and loving things, you've got a big problem in your life. Your iPhone and, the, and Facebook is a thing. It's not a people. So you shouldn't love it. You should be able to throw it to the side and love your family rather than the thing. But you see, we get kind of messed up in our head. Our society teaches us a whole lot of wrong stuff and that wrong stuff gets into our mind and becomes to manipulate us and control us and so that we start loving things more than we love people and there we are now living in the realm of the robber. Because in the realm of the robber, that sort of commands to love God and love your neighbour, they just don't exist because it's love self which is the centre. Me, I'm the centre. The robber is not concerned about the man who's travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. What he's concerned about is what he can get from him, what he can steal from him. He doesn't care if he leaves him hard dead. What he's looking at is he's looking at his money. He's looking at his wealth. He's looking at what he can get. He does not care about the person. He cares about the thing. He's got this basic issue, problem. He can be a nice bloke who comes to church, but if you're self-centered and you're caring about money and not people, you'll treat people poorly and you'll, you'll cherish your car and go and wash it when they go home. You look at it and you say, well, I can't mess up the car. I can't put somebody dirty in my car, you know, because, you know, I might mess it up. Because you love things more than you love people. Oh, come on, we're not that bad, are we? Now listen, shake yourself, get into the shoe of the robber. You might not be living there now, and you might not live, ever live there, but just climb into the shoe for a moment. Walk a mile in his shoes. Understand what he's thinking. Because he was thinking something when he's sitting there behind the rock waiting for this guy to come along. He's thinking something about what he's going to do when he pushes the guy down and beats him across the head with a hammer. He's thinking something when he's grabbing that money out of his pocket and running away. He's thinking something and it's not good. And we can do that every day when we put something in front of someone. We are playing the devil's song. Think about these words. Covetousness. I want. I used to little sing a song with my kids when they were sitting there. My Nathan was a little give me man. Give me. Give me. He said, give me. He wanted one for himself. So we'd sing, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want. Give me, give me, give me, give me. I want. We used to sing that song to him just to make him get the eye. Can't you hear yourself? Give me, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want. Give me, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want. We tried to show him that it's not about the stuff. And you know, the kids, you would never do this, but I'm a crazy guy. My parenting was crazy. So the kids are fighting over something. You know, they, I want it. No, I want it. No, I want it. And you'd hear little Renee, she'd say, Put my pencils down. If you don't put my pencils down, I'll rip your head off. She was, she was two or three years old. Remember that? Where's Jenny? She'll give you away. She remembers that. I got, we, we ta- it's on tape. We, used, we used to play it over. And this is little two-year. Give, give me my pencils. Don't touch them. I say, I'll rip your head off, okay? <laughs> so, uh, you know, so when they're fighting over something, I'd say, if you don't stop fighting, I'm going to de- destroy it. If it was a balloon and they wouldn't stop fighting, I'd just come over and I'd stab the balloon. Bang. Gone. And they'd look at me with shock and horror. You know why? They're learning a wrong ethic. They will fight over things and hurt each other, whereas the, the ethic says, love each other and use things. If you're making the thing and it stands in front of you, I'll destroy the thing so that you can love each other again. But we get so proud about our possessions. We get so proud about the things we own. We, we, we get covetousness. We want what we don't have. We, 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 we get envious and we get jealous of other people. We make comparisons about other people and what other people have. And we want to get the same thing. We, we want to have it. We, we start using manipulation. We manipulate people. We say, oh, give it to me. Give it to me. Oh, I want it. I want it. I want it. And then, oh, you're not having it. You can't have it. Oh, I'm going to go into the room. Ah! 
be quiet, be quiet. You, you know, ah, ah, bang on the wall. Ah, what is this? This is called manipulation. The idea is if I make enough noise and scream and holler loud enough, you'll just get so upset with the noise. Give it to him, give it to me. Why? Because the thing is, give it to the, the thing so that he doesn't manipulate. Because that's what it's all about. It's not about you and what you want. It's about me giving me what I want. And if you don't, I'll manipulate you so I can get it. Hey, this is where we live. Young people, when mum says or dad says, no, you can't have something, what do you do? What's the next step? What do, you, do you up the ante? Do you start pouting and you say, okay, fine, okay, we'll just get on with life. What do you go into your room and slam the door? You turn your music up and put your stuff in your ears. Not talking, not talking, talk to the hand. I'm going to give you silent treatment now because you won't give the thing to me that I want. Why? Because things are more important than you. You're paying the devil's work. You're living in the devil's shoes. Oh, I don't I don't even I'm not the devil, Mark. Yes, you are. You're doing what the devil does. Walk a mile on the shoes. Start to think about what it's like to be the robber. Get it, whatever you want, get it, get it as much as you can get. You know, don't care about it. Pride and self-centeredness, lying and stealing, all to get what you want. Just because you don't have it and you want it. You slander, you'll cheat, you'll steal people's morality just because of your lust. Because the thing is more important than the person. You've been stamped with the wrong moral. So that's what it's like being the devil. Oh, move on, Mark. I don't have that idea. Let's be someone else. Okay, we know that we're now the priest. I wonder what it's like to be the priest. Well, he's just walked on to the other side. He's seen the guy that's broken down. He's looked at the guy that's broken down and he said, ah, ah, not this bunny, I'm on the other side now. So the priest talks to us about religion. Now, let me tell you something. If you're broken down in life, don't expect to get any hand or help from religion. Religion will not help you. It just rearranges your sore spots. Religion is not the answer to the problem of your brokenness. Religious attitude is not the answer to your brokenness. There is no help in religion. That's why Jesus says the priest walked onto the other side. It's something other than religion. But what does the religious person look like? And what does he act like? We're going to walk a mile in the priest's shoes. Where's he been? What's he been doing? Well, he's, uh, he's pretty good at study. He has to be. You know, he has to stand up and talk to people. If you like, I'm a priest. Let's slip into the priest's shoes. Turn to the neighbor and say, hello, priest. Hello, priestess. We are now going to look like priests. Everybody look like a priest. Okay, how does a priest look like? Well, they have a different demeanor than everybody else. They walk like they are walking on clouds of holiness. You know, everybody around is looking and saying, whoa, there's a man or a woman of God. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Look at the way I dress. I'm a man of God. Don't you forget that. <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, I spent longer on my knees this morning than you did. Do you want me to tell you what time I got up? No, I won't do that because you'll feel intimidated by that. But if you were to compare how long you sleep and how long I sleep, well, then you'll just see how much I pray. And I talk to God about all the things I need to talk about. And then I study the Bible really well, study it really, really well. You know, so if you're going to, try, you're going to stump, stump me with any knowledge questions, I want to tell you, you better be ready because I know the Bible upside down, inside out, back to front. And you can tell me any, any doctrine you like and I'll be able to give you a dissertation on it because I've done my study. I've got the knowledge. 
I also know what's right and wrong. So you can come to me if you like and ask me, I'm in this terrible situation. Is it right or wrong? What should I do, Mark? And I'll tell you exactly what it is, what's right and wrong. Because I know right and wrong. I've been eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and I know what's right and wrong. And I can tell you what you're doing that's wrong. Sound familiar? Hey, you put the hat on now. Don't you judge me. Because you're the one who's going to make the judgments now because you are the priest. You're determining what's right and wrong, not me. You know what's going on. You have your righteousness all sorted out. You know exactly the rituals to do to make you right before God and you've got to walk around in your righteousness. You've got to walk around and you know that you're okay. You know that you're safe. You know that you are going to be accepted by God because you're one of his people. That's who you are. Put the hat on your head, on your head, on your head. Put the hat on your head and be the priest for just a little time. You're blessed. You know you're blessed. You're blessed all over. Everything you do is blessed because God likes you. You're one of God's special people. You've told yourself that over and over again. Oh, well, you don't drink. And you don't smoke. And you don't do the bad things that other people do. In fact, you live such a tight little life in a clean little house with your clean little name and your clean little... Everything is clean for you. It's clean, clean, clean. And you like keeping it clean. You've got these rules to keep it clean. And everything is going to be fine if you keep it clean. You don't want to have anything dirty in your place. Because you're a priest and you're of the priestly class and you're the one that stands between God and man. Let's just get close to home, not if you're feeling like it's close to home. Are you feeling the priest now? Do you feel what the priest feels like? Or are you just listening to me talk about me? I want you to get into his shoes because you will not understand this until you do. Are you too righteous to bend down and pick up a urinating, vomiting guy in the gutter because you are too clean and too important? Have you got a Bible study to go to or a prayer meeting to go to and you can't get down in the scum and pick something up that's dirty and Urinated all over itself. Because it just wouldn't do. Having that on your hands and smelling. And how am I going to stand in front of people now who love God and talk to them if I've got vomit on me? I can't preach unless I'm preaching in a white suit. Says Benny Hinn. Think about that. What marks out your life? Your sense of rightness, if that marks your life out, you're a priest. And you know what the problem is? We're a kingdom of priests. We are called priests in the scripture. Every one of us has to live holy lives and righteous lives. The trouble is when the holiness and the righteousness gets in the way of real ministry, that's the problem where your status as a priest is more important than the ministry of the priest. There's the problem. There's the dilemma. You might have all the knowledge. What don't you do? Well, you don't mix the wrong kind of people with the right. You just keep the people separate. You know, if you like, I'm, I'm going to have a meal at my place. But listen, buddy, I just want clean people to come. Okay. Now, there's a point. I might say, uh, there's somebody who comes to my place, you need to have a shower, wash your clothes before you come because I want you to respect the other people there. And I've done that this week. I asked somebody to wash and shower before they came because I didn't think that smelling urine was going to be nice for everybody at meal. But listen to me. If I say, you can't come, 
and don't enter into it, I've excluded them from it. And I am walking to the other side of the road to stay away from people who don't match my ideals or don't live by my ideals. And so I am quite happy with birds of a feather who flock together. But I am not happy to mix it with people who are different to me, who don't act like me, because it doesn't sit well with my sense of what's right. That's the priest's hat. Then I take it off, mate. Yes, take the priest hat. We don't want to sit with the priest hat on too long, do we? That could get uncomfortable. Well, let's talk about the Levite then. Okay, everybody put your hat on, on your head, on your head. Everybody raise your hands above your head. You're going to put your hat on your head, your head. You don't put your hat on your knee. You put your hat on your head. Don't put it on your knee. You sing that song, hat on the head. You've just put on the Levi's hat. The Levi's hat talks to us about entitlement. You say, well, why, why, that, why would Levi talk about entitlement? Well, you have to know a little bit about the Bible, and that's why being a priest and studying about the Bible and, and knowing what's going on in the Bible is, is probably good. You can learn some stuff. So the idea of the Levite being special is that the fact that the Levites, as a tribe, there was 12 tribes, and one of them was the tribe of Levi. And the 12 tribes all got to have land except for the tribe of Levi. Everybody got their block of land. Everybody could have a piece of dirt that they could plant their vegetables in and a piece of grass that they could feed their sheep on. Everybody, when they got into the new land, they got their own pot place. You know? But the Levite didn't. He wasn't allowed to own anything. He didn't have any land because God says, I am your possession. You belong to me and I belong to you, Levi's. All the people who are in the Levi tribe... They couldn't have anything. So how do they live? Well, everybody else was taxed. Everybody else had to bring offerings, and the offerings went to the Levites. And all the Levites, that one-twelfth of that country, was supported by everybody else. They received the entitled tax from everybody else. That's why the Levi is an attitude of entitlement, because they are special, set-apart people. In fact, they were so special and so said One of the guys from the Levi was called a guy called uh, Korah. And in Numbers chapter 16, Korah is so aware of his specialness. He's so aware that he's so special that he says, you know, we can all prophesy, we can all do this. You know, why is it Moses that has to be the centerpin kingpin? You know, and he stirred up people and he, he says, you know, we're entitled to have the leadership that Moses has. Why is it so that Moses has it? And he stirred up the people to rebel because of the sense of entitlement. The Levi is greatly aware that he's entitled to something. He's walking around with status. He has his status. You know, you, you know who you're talking to? You're talking to a Levi. I got status. I want you to feel it now. You know, feel it. How are you going to walk with that status? You're going to walk a certain way. You're going to hold yourself a certain way. You know, you'd be glad to know what tribe do you come. I come from the tribe of Levi. And you have that with you all the time so that everybody knows when we've got to give it, we've got to give it to you. You're entitled to it because you're the special ones. You are the special ones. Listen to what it says in Numbers chapter 16. Moses said to Korah, now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister him? Isn't that enough? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near him. But now you are trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you have and your followers has banded together. So he's actually confronted Korah and confronted Korah's sense of entitlement, confronted it. He said to him, you think you're entitled to it. Now, when you think you, and you're living under the attitude of entitlement, if you think you're entitled to something, you're not ever thinking how we can give. You're always thinking how you're going to get. Now, that's the basic problem. Somebody who's entitled to it thinks that they could, you get a minister of the gospel who thinks he's entitled to, he's got special person, he will do some crazy things because he thinks he's entitled because he's got a special connection with God, you know? I can put my hand in there, I can take that, I can do this and do that. Why? Because I'm entitled, I'm God's special man. 
Entitlement. You lead you down a terrible path. Entitlement. But you never ever think about somebody else. You get quite callous toward other people. You get callous toward other people because you are the one that they should be giving to. It's not the other way around. I shouldn't have to give you anything. You're the one who's meant to be holding me up and you're the one who's meant to be giving me something. So don't talk to me about what I have to give or what I'm going to have to do. I look at that man sitting on the side of that road and he looks pretty smashed up, but I reckon he's just pretending. I reckon he's trying to get something off me. You know what? I'm not going over there because I don't want to dirty my hands with this guy. I'm entitled. I don't have to give to him. Now, these people are there because they don't use their, their life properly. They've wasted their opportunities. They are losers. It's how you use your life and how you use your opportunities. And if you use your opportunities right, you're entitled to have success. You're entitled to it. And somebody's in the wrong side of life, sitting on the ground. They obviously, they obviously did something wrong. They deserve to be there. They deserve to be struggling. I deserve to be where I am because I'm doing the right thing. I'm God's special person. They deserve to be with her. I'm entitled to it. I don't have to go over there. It's not even relevant to me. If they got their act together, they could be somewhere else. Get yourself off the ground. Pick yourself up. Suck it up and go for it like I have to. That's entitlement. Oh, wait, wait a minute, though. It doesn't just hit the people who are on the upper side of life who walk around with a silver spoon in their mouth thinking that they... It also hits people in poverty. Now, some of us were bought here because we were refugees. And we don't have anything. And when we go to a refugee camp, we don't have anything. We can't create work. We, can't, we have to receive something. We're entitled to get something. Watch it now. So whether you're rich or whether you're poor... The attitude of entitlement has a snare involved in it. And the snare is the focus on which you are looking. Which way do you look? So when you come to Australia, if you have a spirit of entitlement, it's like, well, what are you doing for me? You know, I'm, I'm in terrible strait here. You know, and so the government says, look, we're really sorry about that. Let's, let's give you a, a payment and let's give you an extra payment. Let's give you another payment. And every, Yeah, well, yeah, you should too because I deserve it because I, I was in a refugees camp and I was in war-torn place and, uh, you know, I've suffered. I've got all these problems. Yeah, yeah, let me give you more and more so we can fix it up. And they throw money at you and you begin to think that you're entitled to it because of your situation. Watch out. There's a problem right there. Because poverty doesn't mean that you have to get. Poverty means that you have to trust God. And if he gives you, that's great. But trusting God is not entitlement. Entitlement looking around and saying, people have to give me. Listen, I want to read you a passage of scripture that shows us that the whole idea of poverty doesn't need to engender or produce a feeling of entitlement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about the church at Macedonia. That church in Macedonia is an incredible church. This is what he says. Now, I wanted you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Macedonia is Greek, isn't it? It's Greek churches. They are being tested by many troubles. So these people were tested. They were broken themselves. The church at Macedonia was broken. The churches in Macedonia, they were in poverty. He says, but they also, they were tested with many troubles and they, have, they were very poor, he says. But they also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So even though they were very poor, the spirit of entitlement was not there. It's like the woman who had the two mites. No, no, I'm so poor, I'm going to just put two, two mites in and that's all I've got. She had an entitlement to get something out of it, baby, but she, a spirit of generosity, she gave all that she had. So just because you're poor doesn't mean you have to have a spirit of entitlement. You can be abounding to generosity. For I can testify, says Paul, that they, they, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more they did... It for their own, from their own free will, 
they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift to the believers in Jerusalem. And they did more than that than we hoped first. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. And so these people, even though they were poor, didn't have an attitude of entitlement. But that doesn't mean just because you're stuck and you can't, you've got two pennies to eat, you can't be generous and you can't understand and you can't involve yourself. It doesn't cost you anything to smile at someone. It doesn't cost you anything to give them a warm word. It doesn't cost you to extend your hand. It doesn't cost you anything to say, talk to them and, and listen to them. It doesn't cost you anything to spend time with somebody. It is a, a spirit, a generous spirit that does that. But if you've got a spirit of entitlement, you'll be sitting back and saying, well, why isn't somebody talking to me? Why don't people come and talk to me? All right, let's take that hat off. We've had enough of that hat. Take it off. Put it on the side. <sighs> yeah, I'm glad this is. You know, I'm glad you're not talking. See, some people say, "Look, Mark, when you're preaching, you preach at me all the time." No, I'm not preaching at any. I'm just putting the hats on. Okay, so you're taking the hat off. You're not a Levite. You're taking the priest off. You're not a priest, are you? You're taking. Oh, well, let's see if you're a good Samaritan. The good Samaritan. Well, he comes. He's a picture of Jesus. He speaks to us of Jesus. Even though he's a Samaritan, he is a type of Christ. Well, he's come from a different place. And Jesus came from a different place. He's come to a people and he's mixing with a people who don't respect him. The Jews never respected Jesus. He was the stone that the builders rejected. He was a Jew, but his teaching was foreign to them. And just like the Samaritan's teaching was foreign to the Jews... Jesus' teaching to the Jews was foreign to them and they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to accept it. They were teaching the Lord. Jesus came to fulfill the Lord. He was teaching God's grace and forgiveness and repentance. He's talking to them about And they don't like what he's, Jesus is having to say. So he's rejected. He's rejected by And the Samaritan, when he's talking about the Samaritan and he's talking to this, this lawyer, he knows that when he says the word Samaritan, that lawyer is going to say a dog in his head. He's not going to have warm feelings to Samaritans. Well, those Samaritans believe heretical, her, heretical teachings. They're not even saved. They actually go and they have a, offerings on this mountain and they don't come to Jerusalem. Oh, heretics, heretics. And Jesus is telling a story about a good Samaritan. He's like Jesus, the Samaritan. He comes to where the man is. Jesus enters into life and comes to where we are. He enters into life and says, let me get acquainted with your grief. He enters into the domain. We are lying on the side of the road, broken and smashed, and Jesus comes into our life to deal with the brokenness. He's like the good Samaritan. What's it say? He went and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. There's the healing virtue of Jesus when he comes to us. What does he do? He, he soothes our hearts. Oil is for healing and the wine was meant to anesthetize the area and produce a, take the pain away. And he bandaged up the wounds. The Good Samaritan got involved with the problem. Didn't have to. He came from a foreign place to come and get involved with it. Put himself outside of his comfort zone, right into this man's life. Picked him up, got his hands covered with whatever was on that man. If his blood, he got his whatever that man's blood was. He got it on his hands. If it was urine, if it was whatever it is, vomit. He got it all over himself. He got involved with him. If you're a good Samaritan, that's what you do. You you just get involved with people. Doesn't really matter what they are, if they're clean or not clean. You get involved with them. Because you want to pour in the oil and the wine. You're looking to try and help them. You're trying to find some way you can minister to them. You're thinking about the pain that they're going through and you think, how can I bandage that up? I just feel for you. 
I just got, I, I'm hurting inside. When you talk to me about, oh, I can feel that too. I mean, I, in some sense, I, I can empathize with you. In a big sense, I can sympathize with you. I just, I just, I'm there with you. You know, I'm, I'm feeling what you're going through. I, I am moved. I am not callous. I have not walked to the other side of the road. I've stopped and entered into your grief and pain. Jesus entered into ours. And then he picked up the man. And I want you to think about picking up a broken man. Not that real dignified, is it? The broken man's going to holler and scream. If he's got broken bones, he's going to holler and scream. If he's got cut, he's going to be covered with blood. If he's been smashed around, he probably vomited a couple of times. But you've got to get nice and close when you pick up a broken man. You've got to get real close because you've got to hold him up close to yourself and then you've got to pick him up, take all his weight. And you've got to put him on your donkey in your nice car with your nice seat covers. His rotten body. Maybe you don't get time to put the tarp down first or throw him into the back of the ute. You're putting him in your car because it's your donkey. And then you're going to drive out of your way and you're going to find an inn somewhere. We're going to commit to this guy. And you say to the innkeeper, whatever it costs, fix him up. And when I return, I'll pay the rest. That's a picture of Jesus. He takes the broken people and he bricks them up and brings them to an end. The end is called church. <laughs> Here we are. We're the innkeepers now. And the broken ones come to us and he says, Jesus says, you know, fix them up. You know, uh, you know, and if there's any cost, let me know about it. When I return, I'll repay you for it. It's a picture of Jesus. It's what Jesus wants us to do. It's the way Jesus wants us to react and respond. He says, when you see this, do likewise. Friends, there's only one hat you can really wear and live. Jesus says, do this and you will live. What is that hat? It's the good Samaritan hat. It's the one that says, let me be thoughtful for others. Let not me think about myself or my status or my entitlement or how I want things for myself. Let me be what you want me to be for those who are broken in the society. How can they ever find Jesus unless they have good Samaritans picking them up and putting them in their donkeys? So the question for you today, whose shoes are you wearing? You know your life and you know your responses. I know that you just want to have peace and happiness. That's what it is being a person, living in Jerusalem and traveling to a fragrant place. That's what we all want. Are you a robber? Have you never got over yourself now? You're not mature enough to get out of yourself? You're still selfish and self-centered, getting what you want? You're a robber. Is that the shoes that you're wearing today? It doesn't really matter. You sit in church, but you, you know, it's all about self. It's what I can get out of this. And if I don't give you what you want, you go to another church. Are you the priest? You got it all sorted, the right and the wrong, the religious stuff. You have a good relationship with God. You talk to God all the time and you study his word. And you know all the facts, but you really haven't got that relationship in sync. You're just doing the stuff. You're the rituals, the order. The, the, you got it all sorted. You're righteous in terms of your own perspective of what that should look like. But you won't go across the street to someone who's smashed and broken. You won't get into their life because it's just outside of your routine of righteousness. Are you the Levite? Do you have an attitude of entitlement that's so strong that you're always thinking that you are the one that should be getting, not giving? You're so focused on yourself that people should be looking after you. People should look after me. I'm here. What's wrong? You know, I'm the one that needs it. How can you go? 
waste time with that people over there. What about me? These hats will not do us. They will not save us. There's only one hat that will. It's the life of Jesus. We have to clothe ourselves with the good Samaritan. Shake ourselves from our pleasantries. Look across the street and see someone broken. Feel the pain of that broken life. And ask Jesus, what must I do to help? Then put your hand in your pocket and commit to it. Put your life in their place and work with them until they come to a place of robust fullness in Jesus. Where are you living? Whose shoes are you wearing? Ask yourself the question, is the heart of the master beating in your chest today? Do this and you will live, said Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us to bring this truth home to us. We do not want to be living in a place where we are plain church. Neither do we want to be acting as though that we are righteous but unable to feel the pain of others around us. Lord, your word tells us not to be selfish and not to try and impress others, but to be humble thinking of others as being better than ourselves and not to look only out to our own interests, but to take interest in others too. You've asked us that we must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had when he came. Father, we give ourselves to you today, Lord Jesus, and ask that you would so change our minds that we would live as you want us to live, loving others, thoughtfully thinking about others with a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.